0: It's untold the number of people that might see somebody's name in print. And then the name in print then drives people to go and look for who that person is. So in a way, it's like a calling card. And it's like a billboard to say, okay, here I am. You know, I'm validated by being published in a magazine because I've been chosen to fit within this story in this context. And come and look at my other work because this is not all I do. And I think people who... Um, choose not to use magazines like that are kind of selling themselves short a little bit
1: that was Tricia Malcolm editorial director of Vogue Knitting on this episode of the Power Pearls podcast candid conversations with everyday knitters and designers with compelling backstories I'm Cara Gott Warner editor of Creative Knitting Magazine and I dig deep and ask the big question about why We started knitting in the first place. And what keeps our needles going? Before we jump into this episode, I want to share some details about an exciting event that's coming up in a few weeks. It's the Annie's All Craft Festival, a premier crafting event which takes place in Fort Wayne, Indiana, Friday, October 30th through... Sunday, November 1st. If you haven't heard of Annie's, let me just clue you in. Annie's is a leading craft retailer and is actually the publisher of my magazine, Creative Knitting, as well as a handful of other craft publications such as Crochet, Crochet World, Quilter's World, Cardmaker, and Just Cross Stitch. So back to this first of its kind all craft event in the Midwest. So it's happening in Fort Wayne, as I mentioned, Fort Wayne, Indiana, and it's three days where you'll, you know, you get your fill of a variety of craft categories, such as knitting, crochet, card making, quilting, sewing, cross stitch, embroidery, beading, and even cake decorating. You'll also get a chance to take classes with a variety of knitting uh, teachers You'll also get a chance to get a signed copy of Creative Knitting from Yours Truly. So I will be signing copies of the magazine. So don't miss your chance to get one. And uh, you know what else? Uh, prizes. There's opportunities for you know to get to enter into drawings and other other really exciting events that are happening uh, at the uh, at the event. Um, so you know just. If you want to learn more, hop on over to anniescraftfestival.com and I hope to see you there. So let's get on with the show. In this episode, Trisha and I will talk about what really happens behind the scenes when it comes to making a magazine and we'll talk about what it takes to put together a top notch design proposal along with some pointers to get yours to the top of the pile. If you want to start working with publishers, then pull out those notebooks because this episode is packed with useful advice. Hey, Trisha, welcome to the Power Pearls podcast.
0: Thanks, Kara. It's really nice to be here.
1: But before we jump in, I want you to share a little bit more about yourself so the audience can get to know you.
0: Okay, so Kara, I've been knitting since I was four and um, I know you asked about a pivotal moment. And I didn't really ever have a pivotal moment. It was just that um, my mum knitted and I saw her doing it. It's the same way you see your mum cook and you want to learn to cook, you know. And that's how I was with knitting. And one of my earliest memories is um, sitting on my mum's knee with her arms around me with the needles and showing me how to do it. And um, I remember knitting like little blankets for my dolls and they all had holes in them. But I kind of actually... Worked out how you made the holes after a while. And so they were all little holy blankets. Um, But um, yeah, I kept knitting. And my mother had knit her first sweater um, before she was eight. And so I didn't actually finish mine until I was 10. So I kind of felt like a bit of an underachiever. But once I'd gotten through that and um, made my first sweater, then I kind of chilled a little bit. And I took up knitting again Um, when I first started working. um, Before I went to college, I worked for a few years first, for two or three years. And so I took knitting up then because it's something I'd always loved. And, um, you know, I didn't have to study anymore. So it was my time off. So it was just a way of um, making clothes I wanted to wear. And it was back in a time where you, you knit to make clothes because it was much cheaper than buying them. And so I've been knitting ever since. Hmm.
1: But there wasn't a time in your life that, you know, maybe you needed a little bit of comfort. Did, did knitting kind of assist you during any kind of time in your life when, you know, uh, not get, like you used it maybe for a refuge or a source of comfort?
0: Uh, not so much as refuge. Um, I would say the most, the moment that sticks out the most like that was my father was having his second open heart surgery. And we were there. And, you know, they go all day. So it was like eight to ten hours. And um, there was my mother and my two sisters-in-law and myself and my sister. And I brought knitting along for all of us. And so most of us knit during that day. And I think that communal moment of knitting together was probably that time that you're talking about in my life. All right. So,
1: you know, I think here I want, I just wanted to ask you a little bit more, though, about the path that led you to where you are though today as um, the editorial director of Vogue Knitting. So how did that all, how did that path go?
0: (laughs) Well, I used to be a high school teacher and um, I did that in Australia and then I went backpacking because like every Australian at the time, I wanted to go and live in Europe, particularly in London and work for a couple of years and then move home. And a strange turn of events meant that I traveled a lot, I did a lot of backpacking through South America. I drove a two hundred dollar car across the u s and weirdly, I ended up in New York when I had never even wanted to go to new York and then um, I was able to get a work visa, and so um a job came up at McCall's Needlework and Craft magazine, and that's how I learned to be an instruction writer and learn the basics of editorial. so um you know, one job leads to another leads to another, and then finally I found myself working at Vogue Knitting.
1: Hmm. Amazing where life takes you, isn't it? <laughs> it's
0: very funny where life takes you. Wow.
1: So how long has it been now, Tricia? How many years have you been with, uh, with Vogue?
0: Um, it's about 18 years. Wow.
1: And I mean, a lot has changed. I mean, you've kind of stepped in and out of different roles. And you know, I mean, right. I mean, it's morphed and gone through lots of different things over the years for you.
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. When I first started, I think we published three issues a year. We didn't publish books. Um, the Vogue Knitting book um, had been published years before. And when I took it on, it was three, those three issues plus one issue we published of Family Circle Easy Knitting, and that was it.
1: Just one issue?
0: Yeah, back then. It started out as one issue a year.
1: Oh, okay. Because that was the very first magazine that I ever got published in <laughs> oh really <laughs> yes I have a very special place in my heart for for that magazine yeah I still have the copy too it's crazy
0: that's great and I bet if you <laughs> told me which design it was I would know it
1: <laughs> oh
0: my goodness it
1: you know I don't have it in front of me but it's a little girl's hat uh-huh. with little flowers on it it was in a winter whites uh chapter mm-hmm. in in um Rowan uh Kid Silk cases uh, in like a different tones of creamy white. off whites.
0: Yeah. Yep. <laughs>
1: I was yeah. like over the moon. <laughs> it was one of those conversations where it was like, oh, we'll pay you this for it. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm trying to be professional and oh, and I'm like, you know, but inside, but you know, I was very professional on the outside and oh, yes, sure. That works for me. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so that was great. Okay. Yeah. So let's dig in now to our topic, our conversation. So I want to I wanna talk about some of the struggles that we experience as editors of magazines. So I'm the editor of Creative Knitting, if, if, uh, if anyone out there doesn't know. So we're going to kind of talk about what that is, that kind of behind the scenes experience. So Tricia, can you share your biggest struggle when it comes to the design submission process?
0: Um, well, just let's start with the basic submissions, you know, I'm sure you do a design call the same or a similar way that we do, Mm -hmm. you ask for, you know, a a good drawing, you ask for a swatch, you know, and it used to be, you know, when I first started doing this, everyone mailed their submissions in, and they all had to be mailed back, um, and there was, you know, a beautiful drawing usually and then a nice swatch attached because you, you would never buy a design without a ta- like seeing the swatch in order to give you a concept of what this might look like. But now um, people submit electronically. So um, one of the biggest difficulties I find is people um, don't read the submission things and they'll send you in a, um, a sketch of a sweater that's a third of a page and then mm-hmm. the swatch will be so tiny that you can barely make out what it is. And I find that kind of stuff is the, you know, it's like this could be great, but I can't really see it. And I can't really get a sense of it, mm-hmm. you know. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, following guidelines, I think, is the first thing I would say to people. You know, send in something that's clear it's easy. It used to be people would send in files that were way too big that we couldn't even download them. But now, you know, a lot of um, the, digital, the digital world's caught up to a point that we are able to process, process things in a better way than we were able to. But think about, um, if you're going to submit something, think about what it, what it would be like if you were in our shoes and were looking at this sketch and this watch. I mean, did you swatch it in black so when you scanned it no one can see the stitches? You know, did you do it in you know, a colour, you know, where we can really, really see it? Did you scan it and then send it to us at a big enough size that we could see it? What do your sketches look like? You know, some sketches are amazing and then some sketches, you know, really look terrible. Um and there's a couple of designers I've worked with in the past where I actually suggested to them, you know, I know you're an amazing knitter, but I can't see your sketches. So therefore, why don't you take sketching classes?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And one designer in particular took this advice, and her sketches that she sends me now are amazing. And I really get a sense of what she's trying to get across. Mm-hmm. So I think um, that's the biggest struggle is, you know, if, You're a designer, in your mind, you have an idea of a swatch and a look and a whole finished sweater, but you have to get that idea across to us. Would you not agree with that?
1: No, absolutely, and I think that uh, you know, just on this note of email, I think there's something there that you know, designers, like you said, they're. I don't think they're fully reading the guidelines, and that is one of my biggest frustrations. But it's easy to just hit that button and send in. You know, I took a quick snapshot with my phone, and it's really not the best photo. Whereas if you take that time, and you're sitting with your needles, and you're swatching, and you're blocking your swatch, and you're mounting it on you know, uh, cardstock or whatever it is. And you're taking the time to mail that and, you know, intentionally going to the post office, all that stuff that you were just talking about that, that shows that there is some serious intention there, you know? And, um, and I remember doing it that way, you know, and it is, uh, I think that that's gone now because, uh, of the email process. Um, it takes that out, that intention out of it, that full intention out. Um, And I think that maybe uh, it it makes, it can make you a little bit like lackadaisical, you know, lazy, not I don't want to say lazy, but maybe a little bit. Yeah, (laughs) maybe a little bit lazy. That's what I'm trying to say.
0: You're absolutely right. The presentation mattered. And I think because we go have gone digitally, I think some people don't think it matters. And it really does.
1: Mm hmm. And, And just what you were saying, though, about taking a a sketching class. Uh, And that's something that I'll recommend to designers as well. And I know there's some really great classes that that, uh, designers can take. Um, Not only that, there's some amazing books. I mean, all you have to do is Google, you know, fashion sketching on Amazon, and you'll find books that have templates, you know, where you can, Exactly. Use you can literally trace the body and then add your 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 top or whatever it might be. Yeah, there's so,
0: websites that have those available for download as well, and there are classes online that you can take. So, but how do
1: you feel about this? Is what I sometimes uh, suggest to designers. I mean, I think this is an okay alternative if someone is just like, look, like, I know that they have it in them to, to, to do some great stuff, but they just can't sketch. Um, you know, sometimes I'll say I'll recommend, you know, go on Pinterest or, uh, you know, go to Eileen Fisher or whatever it is, pull down some ready to wear uh, influence. Uh, photos uh, even if it's like a cut and sew piece and say here's my silhouette here's what this is going to look like then swatch your stitch pattern you know uh talk about shaping maybe it's fully fashioned over here or it's asymmetrical over there you know what i mean and like exactly. you can morph this you can explain exactly in detail by using a ready-to-wear photo so i've uh, you know and so uh that really helps me a lot so i think that that's a, that's a good alternative but like you say, I think just getting in there and learning how to actually sketch, you know, it shows that this this person, it, I mean, it's a business, you know, it's a business, right? I mean, it's
0: professionalism.
1: if they can't explain their vision, you know, right. that's hard for us.
0: But you also don't want someone who's going to write three pages to tell you about their thing. You want someone who, who can, like you're talking about pulling together or pulling a shot of something in ready to wear and then maybe writing notes around it to explain what they would do you know, points rather than, you know, I don't have time when I'm putting a magazine together to read three pages from everybody. I agree. You know,
1: so it's a visual presentation because I'm the same way. And I I will tell you, I'm guilty because you know, you have got piles of of, uh, submissions and you're visual. We're visual. I'm, you know, we're visual people too. You know, we came from that same world. So it's like, just show me like in, you know, illustrate it. I mean, that's, my background as an illustrator I want you to illustrate it for me you know um and so that is where you know it trip that trips me up if I have to read too much you know so it is it's it's just about putting it down on paper and and also what will that look like in the end that's what I need designers to show me from start to finish even calling it something other than blue cardigan yeah you know what I mean I mean that helps that really because then you're like wow I get that the story that's in their head, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I'm not interested in the color. I'm interested in words like Aaron mm-hmm. or, you know, the style of it. And then what makes it unique? Mm-hmm. You know, if you call it something that makes it special and unique and, mm-hmm. and really call out those, those points, because the reality is, you know, Aaron sweaters have been made for hundreds of years. We don't need another pattern for an Aaron sweater, mm-hmm. except if it's an amazing Aaron sweater.
1: Exactly. And, and the thing that I mention in my guidelines, I always put certain things in order, like here's what really, what the creative knitting audience really wants, you know. Uh, and, and a lot of the times I get nothing but pullovers, you know. And, exactly. And they're a dime a dozen, guys. I'm just saying, uh, unless you're sending in like a stellar... Design like you say, you know something, just totally prolific that's going to stand out because, you know, patterns are becoming a commodity, commodity, and that's something that I wanted to talk about a little bit later. So I'm kind of you know, going around here, Um, but uh, you know, I just I just think that uh, really looking at what the editors are looking for, and also being that uh, that go to girl or go to guy, because I don't know about you, Trish, but I've got people, uh, designers, that if I have a hole. To, to, to fill, I always have a hole to fill. By the way, right? Or oh, well, my vision, I'm like, oh, I wanted that thing and I didn't get it. I'm not doing it myself. <laughs> no, but you know who? So to have that little posse, if you will, of designers that are like they're in business and they're ready to deliver, and uh, you you say, all right, this is what I need, and they're going to deliver it because you know they're they're how can I say? they're, they're being scrappy about it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard to design. I know when I was a designer, it's not the only thing I did. You know, I didn't make a living. There's no way I could have made a living just as a, as a, as a designer. Uh, But also adding that value to being that person that editors know they can go to, you know, to be almost like partners in crime, like business partners, almost, if you think about it from that perspective, then you're going to always be in that top percent, percentile, or whatever you want to call it, where you're going to get that call, you know. Would you agree? Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, but people who get that call have um, earned your trust, you know, and that's another thing we haven't talked about too, is, um, you know, um, we look at these sketches and we look at swatches and we choose yarns based on what you tell us, but sometimes something comes in and it looks nothing like what we expected, and it is the worst feeling in the world when you open, like the the best feeling in the world in our job is opening the boxes and it can also be the worst because you open that box and you hope for the vision that was imparted by the designer. Now, sometimes that's completely surpassed and you're like on cloud nine. Other times it's like, okay, they did exactly what they said they would do and that's great. Mm-hmm. And then there are other moments when you're like, oh my God, what were they thinking? Or how did I not interpret this the right way and then you go back and you look at this sketch and this watch and then you're like well why did they do this why did they do that or okay so maybe a thicker yarn would have been better why didn't they ask for that Mm -hmm. you know why did they hand in something and sometimes there are things that people hand in that they know are not up to scratch absolutely that's the absolute worst I mean there are times um we got a sweater in once um, that really, literally looked like it was for a six-year-old, and and we're like, we called the the designer, and he was like, well, I ran out of time, and um, I know this is probably the last time we will ever ask me to design for you, and that's it. I don't care.
1: Mm-hmm. I've had the same thing happen. And, you know, I, I finally pull, pulled that, this out of a designer once. And I've, I've had this happen more, more than once where, like you said, before you get in what you something totally different than what was on the design uh, in the proposal. And they'll finally admit, well, they were just knitting away, knitting, knitting, knitting. And then time ran out. And they're like, well, I know. I should have called you or whatever. And the thing is, and I would say, look, you could have called me. And we probably would have been able to work it out. I probably could have given you more time. Exactly. But I think that they're scared or, you know what I think? It's not so much scared. I think a lot of the times there, there can be a situation where they talk themselves into, we all do it. You talk yourself into saying, oh, it's okay. I'll, it, it'll block out bigger or whatever. You block and that's it.
0: that's another thing. You put when it in the get... box and then it shrinks on the way. <laughs> oh, you put it in the box and then you open it at the other end, it's still wet. Oh, I've had those too. Ugh. Oh. Oh, gosh, we could could
1: talk all day about
0: (laughs) similar. I have one more to tell you. We had a sweater arrive. The designer kept saying, calling and saying, I can't get it to you, I can't get it to you. She got it into us the day before the photo shoot, and it came with a sleeve missing.
1: (gasps) Oh, my goodness.
0: So there's this very famous photo that we all in the office know (laughs) of a woman standing with a coat over one arm. Oh my goodness! So, so did you keep it? You actually shot it, or no? You,
1: we did. It's yeah. in, okay. Well, we won't say what issue it's in.
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> because it's it a long time. Ago.
1: Oh, it was okay.
0: All right. It's a long time ago, but we know who did it, and you know.
1: Oh my goodness!
0: You never lose your reputation for being unprofessional like that
1: oh my goodness no it's really true it's really true and you know another this is not one of the questions that I that I uh was thinking of asking but I'll I'll ask it anyway because it's it's one that really it really does um it frustrates me at times um but it's also one that I think a lot of designers don't realize until they really start working with me and building a relationship and knowing knowing the magazine um but you know I think that some designers choose not to work with magazines and they'd rather be indie only because, well, I'm not going to give up my best work and I'm not going to sell you all rights. Now, look, we're all in business, right? We're all, we all need to support each other without magazines, uh, you know, indie designers, we'll have a hard road, you know, yarn companies aren't going to survive. Indie- no one's going to survive. We need each other, right? No one can be an island. I really, truly believe that. But, you know, everything's kind of, it's open for negotiation, you know? I mean, absolutely. I, I don't always buy all rights. I mean, of course, because you know being uh, part of Annie's, you know, because we've got the retail piece and the catalog piece, of course, we we buy for the catalog as well. we We keep that in mind. But that's not the end all. That's not the only way I purchase designs. So it's about a balance. And so if I find someone, that is a great partner in crime, you know, that they're just going to deliver stellar designs over and over again. I'm going to look at them like, you know, this is, this is a deal. This is a partnership. And, you know, it might be a situation where it's like, okay, you give me first rights or you give me all rights on that. I'll give you, you know, you can have first rights on that, you know, bop, 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 whatever. Um, and, and so that's, that's a great partnership because then they're, they're in business, you know, they're making decisions. I mean, th- I always look at it like when I was a designer, it's like I'm getting paid to market myself. I'm in a magazine and I'm getting paid, for, you know, I'm getting my name out there, you know. So I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that, Trish, when it comes to the whole,
0: uh, you know,
1: rights kind of structure?
0: We at Vogue Manly always buy the rights. But. There's ways of working with someone on that. Um, uh, for instance, um, if you have an amazing design and we buy the rights to it and then you want to do a variation on that and sell that, I'm fine with that. But, you know, when I publish a magazine, that um, the number of copies that – get like pushed out into the market as well as the number of digital impressions that go out there with marketing and social network you know um, it's untold the number of people that might see somebody's name in print and Mm -hmm. then the name in print then drives people to go and look for who that person is and then if you say you have a great Ravelry presence people are going to look for you on Ravelry because they might like your design so in a way it's like a calling card Mm -hmm. And it's like a billboard to say, okay, here I am, um, you know, I'm validated by being published in a magazine um, because I've been chosen to fit within this story in this context and come and look at my other work because this is not all I do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think people who um, choose not to use magazines like that are kind of selling themselves short a little bit.
1: I agree. And, you know, and and, and that's as far as rights, I mean – Basically, you know, 90 to, I mean, sometimes 100%. I mean, like, that. that's my goal, to buy all rights. But if someone is just non-negotiable or not, you know, they really, they're they're an indie designer and they really want to have that option, I'll consider it. You know, it is something that I would consider. And the thing is, is that when that magazine goes, hits the newsstand, they can't have that design back until about four months after that issue, goes on sale. And so, and they can't use our photos, obviously. So by the time they put it back into, into their collection and shoot their own photos, it's like, it's a whole different design. And
0: will, the presentation is what makes the difference.
1: Mm-hmm, exactly. And you know you what know? we can, I, we do use it again. So I, if I feel that I want to use it, I want to, I love the design because it's still going to be in my database. I'll say, Hey, I'd like to use it again, you know, and here's how much right. i'll pay you for it. so mm-hmm. anyway, it's it's all open. is is really kind of what i'm saying and i think that um you know, i just wanted to get your take on that from your perspective. yeah,
0: everything in life's a negotiation.
1: mhm absolutely. So I think we answered a qu- the question uh, that we uh, I was going to ask. Do you feel there's a gap between what designers promise in their proposal and what they deliver in the final product? And we we kind of answered that. But you know, do you feel that that is a chronic problem, Tricia, or do you think it's just uh, you know every now and again? Because you said you, you see that box and you're like, oh, you know, do you feel like it's fifty fifty? No, it's not. No, 50, it's Trish. not. Okay. It's every now and again. Every now and again, absolutely. Right,
0: but it's every now and again, and um. You know, if if we've called as a as a magazine, we've called a yarn company and asked them for three hundred dollars worth of yarn, mm. and we've sent it out to somebody, and they don't make the sweater or they hand in something subpar, it's then an embarrassment for us Absolutely. as a magazine to go to that yarn company and and say, "I'm really sorry, but um, you sent me all this yarn, and I, I can't put you your yarn in the magazine because someone failed me. Mm
1: -hmm. I think in a way uh, for myself, I feel like that's even more stressful because, you know, I I think it is so kind. I mean, you know, these magazines are these, sorry, these yarn companies are sending out yarn. And this, and this stuff is not cheap, right? No. Like you said. And we're trusting these designers to produce a gorgeous design. And it doesn't come in, you know, what we, what we hoped to see does not, does, is not delivered. And that, that really is, I think, for me, the most stressful thing to have to uh, tell the yarn company.
0: Oh, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. Those phone calls are the worst. On the other hand, too, um, I really like to try new designers Mm -hmm. Because one – some person is going to be the new Nikki Epstein Epstein slash Deborah Newton slash Debbie Mm -hmm. Bliss slash Kay Fassett. Those people are up and coming and you want to um, um, work with them and, you know, so it's really important when someone starts out as a designer that if they're really good and they have a lot to give – you know be professional about everything that you do, because if you 're going to be in this business for a long time, people will remember the things that you 've done wrong more than they 'll remember the things that you 've done right as sad as that is it 's a reality
1: mm-hmm. and it 's really nice, uh, just back to what you were saying about new designers because a lot of the times they 're just so open they 're like a sponge they 're very fresh, they want to learn so much and uh those are some of the the best relationships because you know there 's no this is how I do it kind of attitude, you know, they're just, they're just a clean slate and they can have, those can be the best relationships for the magazine. I exactly. Find. I
0: love working with people like that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, because I feel like, um, you know, when you've been doing this job for a long time, there, there's certain things that you can tell them. And sometimes I'll give lectures about this at Vogue Knitting Live about how to be professional as a designer. Mm-hmm. You know, here's how to go about putting your design together, um, where to look for inspiration how to draw it properly how to present it properly and then how to produce it properly how to write a pattern properly um you know there's there's so much to it there's so many processes meeting deadlines is a huge one.
1: oh don't get me started
0: <laughs> if you fail to meet a deadline you know people remember that always remember that and it's like oh well the last two issues she worked You know, for us, she was late. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and this is what my staff will say to me, you know, when I'm trying to pick another one of that person's designs. They're like, well, no, that didn't work out. And she didn't do this, didn't do that. And, you know, and arrived, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, with cat hair all through it. And um, and, and I have to tell you, that's a problem. I've got two Mm -hmm. staff members who are majorly allergic to cats. And so, um, you know... (laughs) There's that when it arrives wet and smelly, when it arrives stinking of smoke. Mm,
1: mm-hmm. You yeah. know? Mm-hmm.
0: These are all kind of affronts when you open that box. And all that's the people who shove it into like a piece of, like an old plastic bag, like it doesn't really matter. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, come on, fold it nicely, send it to us, blocked and beautiful and be proud of your work and be incredibly professional about everything you do.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I don't know about you, but there are some people we work with who, um, you know, like I've got a, I've got not enough staff members. I'm sure you're in the same boat. Mm-hmm. Too much work and not enough people to do it. And so, you know, some people can be very needy and very demanding of your staff when really these people have jobs to do and not enough time in the day to get all of their jobs done. So, you know, that's another part I think about being professional that's really important. You know, tell us when the yarn doesn't work. Send mm-hmm. a swatch. Tell us if you think you're going to be late. Ask us if you need a couple of more days. You know, I would rather someone ask for two more days and we are able to give it, we'll give it, than something to be rushed. Mm-hmm. And the hem comes in all twisted because it's sewn to the wrong stitch. You know, or the finishing's not right, or a sleeve's not the same length as the other sleeve because someone's rushing and finishing sleeves at midnight and not measuring them properly.
1: Mm -hmm. I'm really glad that you mentioned that because that, and I said this earlier too, it's like, you know, if you're going to be you know if a piece isn't coming out the way that you had hoped just just call me you know uh just let us know i mean that's the professional thing to do you know and i think mm-hmm. the uh so it's that that being in denial about oh this is working this is fine this will block out or whatever it might be that's that's going to leave that impression in our minds and we won't forget that and you're right and about those designers that do take up our staff members uh, time you know that that is frustrating that is because i i, I don't know it's just there it, it is a, a very deadline i don't think that it's understood so much and i i get it because when you're you're working you're a solo uh you know designer you're working at home and it's it can be a little bit isolating and so here we are in our uh, in our offices and we're it's a deadline driven uh kind of job you know every day um it's like racing the clock i feel at times
0: every day is racing the clock it
1: is it really is it really is and then sometimes the weekends are
0: <laughs> like, you right. know, uh, a
1: couple of nights ago, I was paginating the winter issue from home. So there you go. Um, so- That's
0: exactly right. And then you have to be mindful of, yes, you're doing your bit about the sweater making and getting the sweater in, but it, there's so much more that, that goes on after that. You know, a stylist has has to look at that sweater and decide whether it, it needs a dress with it or pants with it. Um, A skirt with it, and what should that be? And in the way we publish in our magazines, is we put together stories. So we might have six, eight, you know, maybe more or less sweaters together in a story that make up a group setting. And so we choose very carefully um, what would fit together as a group, and therefore they have to be styled together as a group. So in order to make that happen, we need to see that garment. We -hmm. need to have that garment. We need to look at it on a model. which is usually a staff member or a mannequin, and then choose clothing that fits not just the the piece itself but the entire look of the Mm -hmm. story that we're trying to convey. And then after that, it has to go and be shot. Um, And then after that, you know, instruction writers and checkers are with it. So that sweater, when it leaves the designer's hands, is in motion for another eight weeks Mm -hmm. to ten weeks after that.
1: So, those stories, uh, I mean, is that something that you're putting together before you even send that out to? Is that part of the design submission? Uh, do you do you storyboards so that the designers, because this is a good point that you're making, because uh, designers in, in making a sweater, they have no idea maybe how you're going to style this. Is it going to be dressy? Is it going to be casual? You know, so if they have it in their mind, oh, it's going to be an evening look or it's going to be worn with this skirt, whatever, you know, and boots. Um, and so then they can start to have an idea in their mind. Um, so so how does that work? is are they are designers getting that ahead of time from you? No, no. they're not. Yeah. Um,
0: oftentimes we don't even have that decided at that point. Yeah. Like we'll start out like we'll send out a submission um, call, and we might say, these three trends are big for this particular issue. and then people send in their design submissions. And we may not, like, say we have a story on um, crop sweaters. We may not have enough crop sweaters that look good together and that look right. And then we might have to kill the story. Mm-hmm. And therefore, we will go and do a different story. We might go, okay, well, we got a lot of really great lace shawls in, so let's do a story with lace shawls. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I do. So that's one of the things um, about pulling stories together is you have to be flexible. And so, we base it on what comes in and then we're also looking at fashion and what's going on on the runways and then how that's translated into the stores because the runway things happen like a year or two before they happen in stores for mm-hmm. most people, you know. So, um that's a whole other thing. And then once we have all the pieces together, then we sit down and then we talk about how we're going to style them. Mm-hmm. Because as much as you might have this vision about this being styled as like, a oh, this is what you would wear to work. um, And we get them all in. It looks like, well, no, this actually looks more like a weekend story. So let's style it like that. Mm hmm. Yeah. Do you have the same thing?
1: Yeah, I would say exactly. So when we get all the pieces in, we start to pull together the stories and decide with the stylists, we kind of group them, uh, look at them on mannequins, uh, similarly, the way you do. And we think about what kind of... um, you know, state how we want to stage it, stage them, what setting, because I do everything in creative knitting by chapters. I mean, you said stories, same idea. Mm -hmm. Um, And then this, our stylists, they're really great. I mean, as far as I'll say, okay, now here's this group, and they'll start to to pick out the clothes. Uh, If we don't have what we need, they'll go shopping. But before they do all that, I just look at everything and decide this, this makes sense, you know, kind of look at them as in a group. So I think, that it's similar and and if something doesn't make sense yes i might switch gears um and and if it's let's say i had a story to do i don't know something specific like a beach beach setting and it and something just wasn't right you know all of a sudden maybe it might turn into something very neutral and it's not about the that story but it's more about color you know what exactly. i
0: mean If it, it could turn into something other than where you had originally thought it would go
1: exactly so You know, let me, before I switch gears a little bit, because I want to talk about patterns and where you see the future going on that, I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, or ask, yeah, just uh, for designers, as far as the design submission process is concerned, what is the one thing that they could do? Or maybe two things, three things that would get their proposal on the top of the stack?
0: Um, I think it was what I was saying before. Um... There are too many patterns out there and no one needs another Aaron sweater unless it's a phenomenally interesting Aaron sweater. What makes this one different to every other Aaron sweater that's ever been published before? Like, I don't need to publish the same old, same old. I'm looking for something innovative and new, something that fits well, something that gives a person a reason to want to knit it. Um... And also something that's inherently beautiful.
1: Mm. Absolutely. Mm
0: -hmm. uh, Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say the place um, for magazines, you know, when you're talking about patterns and that there are too many patterns out there and patterns have become a commodity. Mm. um, I would say to people, consider this when you're buying a pattern or about to knit a pattern. You know, I keep hearing from yarn stores, you know, when you go into a store, a customer comes into a store And they've downloaded a pattern from Ravelry and the gauge isn't even there, Hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a lot of badly written patterns out there and there's a lot of patterns that don't work. But what magazines have to offer is professional um, writers and professional technical editors and professional checkers. Do we get it right 100% of the time? No, because it's not an exact science and humans are involved. But between all of us, we're pretty good um, mm-hmm. So I would say one of the things I'm seeing more of and I believe is going to be part of the future is that unless patterns are professionally edited and professionally checked, they're not going to be as seen as valued as much as those that are. Mm-hmm. Whether that's magazines, whether that's designers, the, working with professionals, or whether that's yarn companies. It, you know, It's going to be that people can be um, like much more picky about the patterns they choose. So therefore they will choose those that are, you know, the most reliable. Mm -hmm. But I
1: think that, I don't know, when I think of the future of patterns, I see a a bigger problem beyond this because people are still buying patterns from Ravelry and, you know, yeah, maybe someone will find these patterns, oh my gosh, after a while they're just just not written correctly in magazines, do it way better hands down but I don't think that's I think the problem is free patterns you know and we've talked about this uh yeah, we you know have so it, it it makes again the whole commodity issue it's a pattern it's a commodity in a magazine and why am I going to pay for this magazine with a bunch of patterns in it and I know for creative knitting we're going in in, in another direction which it is a harder direction for me because you know it's more about telling the story and what do I have to, what do we have to offer in the magazine? That's more than just the pattern. It's, you know, it's telling you a a, a a story with, with, you know, maybe a link to a video and, um, an amazing tutorial that's going to walk you step-by-step with photos and telling you a story about the pattern instead of here's the template, here's the pattern, go, go, you know, have at it. So those are the, those are the things that's where the direction that, that I'm trying to go in, uh, to make it so that, you know, Hey, this is, we're not just giving you another pattern. We're giving you more than just another pattern.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And that's something um, we've been working towards as well mm-hmm. for that reason.
1: Exactly. So, yeah.
0: but um, you know, I would also say to people who are listening, you know, there's a lot of wisdom out there, or apparent wisdom that, you know, that says, well, the only way to get noticed is to have free patterns. And I disagree. I disagree completely. The minute you say, you know, I spent 30 hours on creating this piece. Plus, I spent money to photograph it with my friends and I spent, you know, whatever. It's time is money and all of the um, time. So, you, you, between everything you had to do, you rack up 50 hours publishing your first pattern and you're giving it away for free. You may as well just say that my time is worth nothing. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, the thing is, is that in business, we, you know, there are things that you do. You make a decision and you give away something that's of value. And maybe that's free, but that's maybe one time. (laughs) You know, uh, it's not the norm. And what happens and what has happened is that patterns are not valuable. They're not looked at as valuable things because honestly, I mean, you see something in a magazine you're paging through it at the Barnes and Noble or wherever yarn shop and you're like, Oh, I'll look on Ravelry right now on my phone right here in Barnes and Noble. And there it is. Oh, okay. Download free. Um, it's easy to do, you know, and it's, it's just typing it in, in, in what you're looking for. Um, and so I think what happens is the value is gone. It's been taken out of patterns. So it's a it's a it's a whole new world, you know, out there. And there, times- there are a
0: lot of websites out there who just have free patterns, thousands and thousands of free patterns. Yeah. But I would still say to people, don't give up on that. You know, if you mm-hmm. still have something to give in terms of a design, or particularly a body of work that you build on, and you want to be a designer, I wouldn't let that hold you back. But you don't have to sell to people who. Um, Are going to give it away free or you can sell to people who are going to give it away free as long as you're being paid for your work
1: absolutely absolutely so this is great and you know we've been on for a while and I want to switch gears a little bit uh and ask you a few uh well a quirky question Mm -hmm. (laughs) do you what where's what's the weirdest place you've ever knitted do you have a weird place or a weird or quirky story
0: um, I guess, uh, I was in Ireland one day, I guess this is my quirky story and, you know, having the job I have, you know, you would think I know how to wind a skein of yarn. <laughs> anyway, we were sitting in, you know, we had a tour to Ireland from our magazine and we're sitting in the, the town square in Donegal in Ireland and a woman, you know, I bought a skein of yarn and so I was holding my hands out with the skein on it while she's winding it and a local woman came over and says, that's not how you do this. This is how you do it. And she took the skein off my arms and stood there, and and it looked to me she was doing exactly what I was doing, and um, and she walked away. You know, she, we were really nice to her and thanked her. And the the woman women I were with were like, oh my god, that's the funniest thing. She has no idea what your job is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is so funny. So I um,
0: was. yeah, maybe I was being put in my place, you know, but I couldn't work out what she was doing mm. that was different to what I was doing. But it was very funny.
1: Mm.
0: But, hey, what you about know,
1: yours? Do you have one? Oh, do I have a funny knitting story? Well, I guess it's kind of quirky. I always think of this one where I was going one year to skiing in Vermont. And, you know, like when you, you go somewhere or uh, it just, I don't know what it is, but, but I, all of a sudden I'm like, I must have this thing for my trip, you know, and I'll do some right. ins- Insana knitting, I like to call it. But I wanted to make, a, you know, like a headband and a, a neck warmer. And so, at the time, I was living in New Jersey, so I knew it was like a five-hour drive or whatever it is from Vermont, New Jersey to Vermont, and in that time, I knitted a head warmer and, uh, uh, you know, a neck warmer and a headband, and I was a passenger, and it got to the point where it was really dark, and I was knitting with black yarn, <laughs> <laughs> but it was all stockinette, so whatever, you know, or gar- garter, it was all garter, so... At the end, the tail end of the trip, I was knitting in the dark. I couldn't see a darn thing, but I just kept moving my needles and I was done by the time I got there. So that's my nice. story. <laughs> yes. <Nice. laughs> it's for real. It's for real story. Yeah. So um, what is the best advice you have ever received?
0: Um, okay, best bit of criticism I've ever received <laughs> was from from my mother when I first moved out of home and I knit myself a sweater and um I did it without like without being under her supervision and I went home and I was so proud of it and Mum's like oh it's beautiful you've knit it beautifully but your finishing just isn't good enough you, look at your seams here and you know blah blah. <laughs> well that was the best thing she could have ever said because after that I took a finishing class and now I'm completely, completely like on top of my finishing like you wouldn't believe. So um, I would say that's possibly the best criticism slash turned into advice. Mm, that's good. Yeah. What about you? Do you have one
1: too? <laughs> Yes. I knew you were going to ask me because, see, I'm the interviewer and I'm, I'm supposed to ask you, but I, oh, I thought, sorry. okay, <laughs> Trish is going to ask me. Um, <laughs> the best advice that I've ever received, it was uh, from... Uh, a boss of mine years ago and he said, make more mistakes.
0: Oh nice. That's
1: because I'm, you know, deathly afraid to make a mistake. Oh, you know. And I thought, wow. Like it it was kind of a fr- like f- freeing. Like, oh yeah. Okay. As long as it's not a a fatal, you know, like mistake, like go ahead and make mistakes. And so whenever I get really caught up in that, it, you know, today, you know, in my job, and I get really worked up, I'm like, okay. Just make a mistake. It's okay if you make a mistake. It's okay, you know? Yeah. And a lot of times when you admit that mistake, instead of trying to cover it up, like when you're like, well, yeah, I screwed up. And then, you know, the the receiving party is like, yeah, oh, well, it's okay. You know, just try harder next time. It's, it's true. You know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. because, yeah, so you get it. But yeah. Yeah. So um, can you share one of your personal habits that contributes to your success?
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot I know and I did read through these questions earlier and I, I really ignored that one because I was like oh no oh god she's not going to really ask me that um, I find that one too hard to answer I'm not I'm not a person of habit so much I'm really um, I'm not I'm not good at habit I don't know why that is Um maybe other people don't see it that way but um
1: something that you're consistent at doing that keeps you on track maybe is a better way to phrase that
0: I consistently try to be nice I'm not sure I always (laughs) succeed but um I'm actually incredibly unbearably shy um I know that whenever I tell anyone that they think that's like crazy but I am really inherently very shy um so I guess that's my biggest thing that I um, try to work on to make myself successful. Because if I had have stayed incredibly shy, I would never be successful where I am now. So that's my thing that I push and work on.
1: That's really interesting that you say that. And I, I'm really glad you opened up about that shy part because I actually, I am the same way. And I told, I mentioned that one day to my boss and she laughed at me. She's like, what?
0: And <laughs> my boss would laugh at me too.
1: <laughs> you love to be in front of the camera, and da, 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 da. and I'm like, yes, I, I force myself because it's, yeah, inside I am, I am shy, and uh, m- my my mother remembers this so well. When I was in kindergarten, my teacher said that I was so afraid to talk, and I remember this so afraid to talk that my voice would crack, like it would break because I was so scared. Uh, and then, yeah, so uh, it's but it's true. So I I work against that grain, you know. But, but I think um, Being
0: an editor, um, you're behind the scenes in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like you're really out there with people and working in an office kind of protects you in a little bit of a way but then when you actually have to go out and deal with people and talk to people and, um, and be that public persona of an editor… It, it can be very difficult, you know. You can mm-hmm. hide in shyness in an office, but you can't hide when you have to go out into the world.
1: Mm-hmm. But when you get up there and talk at the fashion show or you give a lecture or whatever, it's scary, you know, maybe because that shy person is, is, is coming out. But you do it because, at least this is, I'm speaking for mm-hmm. myself, you do it because uh, you, you know you're helping a lot of people. and Yes, you know what you have to
0: say is important.
1: Yeah exactly and that's why I force myself to do it yeah so I will tell you then because you're going to ask me what my personal habit (laughs) my one personal habit is being a morning person
0: I know you're really good at that and um, I watch your posts on Facebook and some of those you know photos from your morning runs I'm like I wish I had that (laughs) habit you know because they're beautiful and I really admire you for that I think it's so cool you do that I wish I had it It's just not
1: my thing. Well, you got Prospect Park right over there, Trish. I know, I
0: know. (laughs) Um,
1: Yeah, and I tell you, it does make a huge difference because when I get out there, it's like my time. It's almost like it's a different time and space. And if I didn't do that, I think my work day would just be pretty stressful. i got to be honest. You know, more stressful than it can be, right? Just something that it just kind of sets the stage. It's like a little launch pad. So... All right, so let's wrap things up. And I, I'd like for you to, you know, maybe just share a little parting wisdom here for anyone wishing to embark on a career in the needle arts and and then how listeners can find you. And then we'll say goodbye.
0: Okay. Um, I would say if you feel you've got something that's driving you to be a designer, run with it. Try it out. Look, it may not work, but it may work. And you may find that you'll be the happiest doing that than anything else you've ever done and it may be your form of creative expression and if you feel you want to try it just go for it it's not that scary it's a lot of work there's not a huge amount of pay in it because no one in our industry is paid well Um, it's a it's an industry without a lot of money sometimes I wish I was in like fabulous boating world or something you know (laughs) where there's money around to but you know it just is what it is and people who work in this industry work in it because they're passionate about it so if you have passion and if you have talent and you have a desire to do this I would say just go for it don't hold yourself back
1: that's great advice so now how can uh, the listeners find you Trish
0: um, you can email me my email is Trisha T-R-I-S-H-A at vogue knitting.com and I'd be happy to answer your questions and help you out and You know, all that kind of stuff.
1: Great. Well, thanks for joining me today, Trish.
0: This was so much fun. Cara, thank you for inviting me. And as always, it's lovely to sit and chat with you.
1: All right, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Tricia. This was really exciting, the very first episode of Power Pearls podcast. So I'm really happy that you joined me. And I hope that you felt like you got some really good information from this episode if you are one of those people that is thinking that you might wanna tip your toes into the designing waters. And it's something that uh, I hope encourages you to give it a try because as as Tricia said, you know, you really have nothing to lose, you know, so, so you have everything to gain and just give it a try. And so getting in touch is pretty easy. And Trisha left her email and you can always get in touch with me, uh, by emailing me at cara at powerpearlspodcast.com. Or, you know, you can go to the website, you can go to powerpearlspodcast.com and, you know, just, you know, contact me that way and make sure that you go and download your free Uh, copy of Eight Essential Steps to Designing a Killer Design Proposal. This is uh, totally free. It's a free PDF that is uh, available to you. And if you go to the show notes page, you'll see a little button in the middle there that you can actually click and download and get your copy or go on over to the website and you can get a copy there. So it's my gift to you. It's just, you know, so many things that I've learned as an editor over the years. And it's just something that I, uh, you know, it would just help you as a designer to put together an amazing proposal. So go on over and get it. And again, thank you. It's been wonderful. And I look forward to, uh, having you on, uh, you know, listening and, uh, Take care and I'll see you next time.